I want to invite you to, to go to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, gives a quote. It's one of my favorites. This is what he says. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What Paul has done in Romans chapter 7 is invited us into this reality where he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes on to talk about this other world. This world that we're created for and this world that he describes with such clarity and and emphasis and passion. It's a world of, of new hope where there's no condemnation, there's no separation, and there's no defeat. Talks about a new king, that new king is Christ, and that he actually says at the very beginning and continues it on, that we are in Christ. I mean, that this is the first time that, that this type of language of being in someone, in an actual person, it's like saying in George Washington. What does that even mean? But we, he goes on to describe And he does this in all of his letters that we are in Jesus Christ, that we are now locked in him. Nothing can remove us from that reality, that we have a new currency, the spirit that is given to us fully, that we can receive and that we can walk in that and that we can now be in the spirit and step with the spirit, that we have a a new kingdom where we are no longer slaves. We have now new positions as sons and we are adopted, crying out, Abba, Father. This is what we discovered just in these few weeks of, of one chapter, unlocking this new world, this new kingdom. And as we go into Romans chapter 8, verse 31, before we get there, I discovered uh, a pastor by the name of Robert Bruce. And in 1641, he comes down for his breakfast with his family. And somehow, I don't know how he discovered this, but he realized that he was dying. And as he eats with his daughter, he says to his daughter, cast me up the eighth of Romans. And she reads verses 31 to 39. And then this is what he says. I have had breakfast with you this morning, my dear children, but we'll have dinner this evening with my Lord Jesus. He put his hand on the page, and then he said, I I die believing these words. And he would end up dying that afternoon. What are these words that we are to live by and die by? Let's read them. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Man, this is so good. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, now he's just showing off, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the word of God. In 2018, Marvel released the highest grossing film that it had ever known. Co-written and directed by Ryan Coogler, uh, at the age of 28, it made him the youngest and most successful director in Marvel. Uh, you all know it. The Black Panther, yes. The, the movie begins in Oakland, California, but then quickly transitions to a flourishing African country named Wakanda. Wakanda is a, it's an economic, medical, and technological marvel. One of the main reasons for its thriving environment is because of a resource that readily permeates the landscape called, vibra- called vibranium. Vibranium, it seems to be a supernatural resource. It's used to make weapons, build protective force fields. It can absorb and redirect kinetic energy. It's used to heal and strengthen just about anything. Vibranium, it makes anything stronger and more resilient than it could ever be on its own. There's an attack, there's a battle, there's anything that is coming against you, even a pandemic illness. Those who have access to this resource will probably be able to sustain their existence and even flourish under extreme difficult circumstances. Vibranium is the strongest and most valuable resource in all the world. In spite of this being a fictional world, I think Paul helps us understand something. In Romans chapter 8, through the context of vibranium. Again, Paul, is, he's laying out a reality of a, of a certain vibranium of the soul, if you will. This resource rushes to sustain us in battle. It heals us when we're hurting. It's used as a, a weapon to fight off foes. Nothing can stand against this. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can defeat it. Paul, he ends Romans chapter 8, plunging us into the depths of the divine vibranium, namely the love of God. If you, if you allow me to, I just want to speak out of the topic, the focus of no question, savoring the invincible love of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask that, like Paul, that we would be convinced we would be convinced of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, so much is convincing us these days of all types of realities, and yet we want to be swept away and plunged deeper into who you are and whose we are. In your name we pray. Amen. We read these words, and I think for many of us, um, they are so otherworldly, because of the culture that we live in. 
and we don't even know what to do with them, and so it's easy to make this, these verses cliche. We use them so commonly, yet we don't really know what they mean. This is a, it's almost like Paul is giving us this cold, it's, 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 it's reading these texts, and then the, the text gives us a cold water awakening. It's like a cold shower out of a coma of narcissism that we find ourselves in as a culture. I saw a quote by John Paul Sartre. This is what he says. You are your life and nothing else. I mean, this is kind of the anthem of our day. That, that you, you are what you make of yourself. That you are the sum total of your choices. That, you are, that your fate is in your hand. You're the captain of your ship. That there are no excuses. You are all that you have and all that you can fall back on. And yet what Romans 8 does is it brings us into a, a, a new reality. A reality we were always made for. There's more to you than you. Than just your own personal life. Than your own kingdom. There's, there's more than that. That, that what, what we're, we're told in Romans chapter 8 is that God wants to actually take the stories we're trying to create and write and author. And he wants to bring them as puny as they are in his eyes. Yet we, they're masterpieces in our own. And he wants to bring that story and he wants to immerse it and emerge it into his own. So, so Romans 8 is this invitation to a new world where we are now being pulled into the vibranium of God's, of, 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 of God's creation through the perspective of his love. You see, Sartre says you are your life and nothing else. But God says if you have Christ, you are in him and nothing else. Like this is, this is what, what Paul is, is trying to help almost baptize this church into, uh, out of their own personal individualized world and into a world that's much, much bigger. You see, what, what we find in Romans 8 is that God's love is, like God's love is really personal. Like I, I, I know that you know this, but he's not tired of you. Did you know that? He's not rolling his eyes with you. He's tender. Do you know he knows every, I mean, I love even considering that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like that, that, that is an intimate God creating us in an intimate way that he makes us for himself. He knows Corey Bendix. He knows, he knows all of my enormous weaknesses and just the few strengths that I have. I mean, like this God knows me. He knows when I stutter. Knows my deep insecurities. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my angers. He knows my story. He knows, my, he knows the the future of of my straight of, of 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 my greatest places of of wins as well as losses. This is a God who knows. He knows you personally. He's intimately involved in your story. He is. He's not a grandpa who is just who's just in a corner of your house and he comes out every once in a while to tell you to turn the music down. Right? Like this is a God who's who's intimately involved. In your life. But not only is he a God who's personal, man, he's a God who's powerful. Isn't that good news that the love of God is not a weak love? Just this idea that it may not work out. See, what's amazing is that even though my sin patterns, I sin against the Holy Spirit, I sin against the scriptures, I sin against God, I sin against my wife. And yet, no matter how much that sin begins to pile up, I cannot out-sin the love of God. 
I, I can't do it. I, I am imprisoned in the love of God. I can't get out. This is a straitjacket that holds me firm, upholds me, and, and, and now pushes me forward. That, that the, the love of God is not being out, outlasted by my own personal life and sin. That, in fact, my weaknesses cause him to come closer even more because he goes, now I'm ready to step in in the midst of weakness and insecurity and fear. I am so thankful that I cannot push back, weaken, or end the love of God. It's invincible. It's committed to you. His love promises to love out of you everything resistant to his love, and he promises to love into you everything receptive of his love. That this is how powerful this love is. It's working in. It's working out. It is at work in you. It is committed to you. It is committed to your journey. This is what we can rest in and rely and depend on. And what Paul does in these few verses is that he asks these four questions. So are really compelling questions that force us to, to step in a little closer to the love of God in Christ Jesus. But what you're going to notice is that I'm going to unpack these four questions, but I don't even know if Paul was meaning to do this, but connected to each question is, is, is a question that all of us ask that accuses the love of God. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Let's just go into it. First one, here's the question that we all ask. Can I really count on God's love? Can I, can I count on it? Well, here's the answer. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I, I hope that you see where I'm going with this. We're going to silence these questions that we have about God's love. That all of us, we are seeped in, we're stewing in accusations against God that he just isn't enough. And yet everything about what Paul is doing is he is silencing these voices. Tone, I just want you to hear, if God is for us, who can be against us? I, one theologian said, the tone is a cheerful, defiant confidence. Just hear, hear, hear this. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's this whole, like, my dad can beat up your dad. You know, that whole thing, right? It's this, it's a defiant confidence. Like Paul, and you know what? Paul is, is saying this with a background of being beaten, being in prison. I mean, being stoned with rocks. I mean, this man is not... He's not had a type of background where there should be a Christian confidence. And yet you have out of that comes this declaration that permeates his experiences. God is for us, 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 not just me personally. It's for us, right? It's for us. And what, what I love is that, is that he just doesn't say that the, it's not just asking who can be against us because we know who's against us. I mean, my goodness, my past is against me. Uh, my fears are against me. The devil is against me. The world is against me. Man, my shame is against me. We have so many things that seem to pile up in regards to things that are against us. But what we find is that, that God is he's not neutral about the fact that he is for me, even in spite of the fact that I'm not for him. It's just, this, is, this is a reality that God is not neutral. He's not waiting it out. He's not in a holding pattern to see how this whole thing with Corey Bendix works out. He's not wondering. There's confidence. There's expectation. And in reading this, this should create a Christian confidence in you and I. 
A certainty in an uncertain world. A certainty in, the, in, our, in our own reality about, about God's salvation that he is going to see us through. Not just in this temporal world, but in the world to come. He has his hand firmly grasped on you and nothing can now pull it apart when it comes to his grip on your life. I love just, this, this is a reality. God is, he's not neutral. That all, even all that God is doing in the world, all throughout the world today, he is thinking of you. Do you realize that? His mind, his heart, his motivation, he is holding things together in the Philippines right now. He is doing things in Kiev. He is active in, in Baja, Mexico. And then all of that is working for your good so that you can become more like the king. It's all working together. It's all active to help you become more like the firstborn son in verse 30. He's managing reality with you in mind. But what, what I love is, you know, to, to, to hear the fact that God is for me, it's easy to have this, this, this response of, well, just let go and let God. That, that, that's, that's kind of this an ongoing kind of response of, if God has got it, then I'm just going to let him take it. And yet, what I love even about like Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, let's, let's get a feel for what it looks like to, for God to be for us, but he's for us with us. He's partnering with us in the world that we live in, and he's active with that, is what it says. He shall say, hear Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you, for you against your enemies to give you victory. Like this is a victory that is promised, but he promises to do it with you. Like what that does is that initiates not a passiveness, but an activeness. That God wants to partner with me in this process of being, yes, he's fully, he is the one that's, that's doing the active work but he's including me in the process. Here's a second question. Will God give up on me? Answer with another question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, I, I remember as a, as a, a teenager, I, I wasn't the best driver I Went through a season of maybe two weeks where I, I think I totaled both of my dad's cars. I mean, I was one of those drivers. I was, you see me coming, you pull off real quick. I, I was driving as a young man was not my forte. Um, and I remember getting to a point where, you know, my dad, I don't know how it came up, but I heard that the insurance company was thinking there was a potential that because of my record, they were going to boot the old Corey Bendix. We're going to kind of break the wrists and walk away. I mean, they were done with it. And you know, I, 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 at least for me, I don't know if you're like me, but for so much of my life, I felt like there's going to come a point where God is just going to look at me and go, all right, off the insurance. Like, I'm done. I've had enough. I've had it up to here. Like, I, I don't know if you're like me, but that has been a voice swirls around. It's like radio hell. And what, is, what do we find about this text and the, 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 
the, the tormenting question and the answer filled with hope, what does that lead us towards? That what we find is that the father gave up on the son at the cross. This is what the text says. He actually gave up on his son. He turned his back on him. And in so doing, in the father, giving up on the son, that now becomes the promise that it is impossible for the father to give up on you and me. That, that, that the son was given up on. He, he sacrificed all that he had. The, the father, he emptied himself of his son. The son emptied himself of his life for those who hated him. This is, this is, a, this is a, a moment in history where everything has changed because the father gave up on the son. And that becomes the hope that you and I now are rooted in that, man, Jesus is never going to, he's not going to, He's not going to give up on me. It's never going to happen. It will be, it will be against his nature. It is, a, it is a certified impossibility for him to give up on you. I, um, I, I, re- I remember when I was uh, young, maybe like seven or eight, I got a chance to go to my grandpa's house <clears throat> uh, a lot. And one of the things that he was really in love with, he loved my grandma, he loved his family, but he had a Porsche 912 silver. And if you don't know anything about, about you know, the 912 edition, it's a four-cylinder car they made from 1965, I think, to 71 pop, somewhere around there. And they stopped making it. So this was kind of a collector's item. And this, this car, I remember cleaning this car with my grandpa. I remember him talking about this car. I remember this car was his highest, not the highest, but man, he loved this stinking car. He drove it all over the place. And I, 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 my dream was one day my grandpa was going to sit me down. And he was going to say, Corey, you're my favorite grandson. I have many, but you are the one. And... I have polished, shined, and prepared the Porsche 912. It's yours. Now, it never happened, obviously. But just think about it. If my grandpa was, would be willing to give me what he treasured the most, do you think that it would be a big deal for me to go, hey, grandpa, I need a place to stay tonight? Or if I were to say, hey, Grandpa, can I have some cold cuts from the refrigerator? Or, hey, Grandpa, can I get some gas for the car? If he was willing to give up the most prized possession for me, everything else is nothing, right? I mean, I, I can just come to an expectation that, man, if, I, if he's willing to give me that, He's willing to give me everything else. And what this text is saying is that not only is God is now not going to give up on you, guess what he's going to do? He's now going to turn the tables and now be ultra generous with you. That everything that you need, it says all things. What does all things mean? It's not, it, is, it is not a, the car of your choice, the house of your choice. It is everything that you need to become more like Jesus Christ, the firstborn son, and everything that you need to now live out embody and embrace the will of God in your life. That this is what he's saying. He's saying that, that now you, you have a promise 
from the Father, through the Son, to you and I, that he will never give up on you. And then on top of that promise, that's good enough all by itself, he wants to give you everything that you need. Man, he takes the limits off. Credit card, no limit. I mean, you have a a love that has no limits. I mean, no limits. Even when you're spending his love, he says, I want to give you more. Well, why, why does he do that? It's because he wants to now he extend and exude a love that now awakens you to want to be loved. To want to run back to the author and the perfecter of your faith. A love that you, you need to define you. And a love that you ultimately can have to give away to someone else. This is the second promise or the second c- c- question. And, and you might be asking, well, how does this alter my life? I mean, because Jesus refuses to give up on me, guess what? I can be committed to my enemy. I mean, because of this reality that Jesus refuses to give up on me, I can now, uh, with all that I have, use that resource of God's love given to me without end and begin to give it out to those that I see as hard to love. What this does is it alters my life by, by, by seeing that God is a trustworthy, he's a trustworthy God who is going to provide everything I need to fulfill the plan he has for my life. So that means I can begin to breathe. I can breathe. I don't have to be so tight-fisted. I don't have to be up at night. I don't have to, 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 to it's so important to have a plan, but I don't have to be the author and perfecter of my own plans. I, I can now rest Knowing that I have a God who is committed. He has proven his commitment by giving of his son. And now he wants to give me everything I need to fulfill the plan he has for my life. Question three. Will my sins come back to haunt me? Answer by another question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Isn't this amazing? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. I'm amazed that the great power of the enemy is to define us by sin. It's not not just that that I have a problem with dot, dot, dot. It's I am that. I mean, it's sin that that you have done or it's been done to you. And so now we have this radio hell from Satan himself that's saying that you, it's not that you've been abused, you are abused. It's who you are. You are unfaithful. You are angry. You're a liar. You're unclean. This is, this, is this, 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 this deep chasm of sin that, that roots us in our past. It feels like we're chained to it. Nothing can, can separate us from it. But we have a God who promises to enter into our pain. Who says, who is going to bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is going to condemn? Dr. Ray Ortland talks about a four-step process that most people navigate when it comes to dealing with their own shame and guilt. He begins with this idea of moral indifference, that I can just do whatever I want, it doesn't matter. I go where I want, I say what I want, there's no consequences. But then that, at some point, it transitions to moral concern. 
that now I need to get my act back together. That there's, I've crossed some lines and I don't like the lines that I've, that I've crossed. I want to get better. And so now it begins, the weight is on me to begin to, to try a little bit harder to fix things. But then it, it now leads to moral despair. That nothing I can do can take away this guilt. There's, there's no good act. There's, 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 there's no conversation. There's no therapist. There's no medicine that can take away the guilt that is rooted in my heart. It's desperation. It comes to a place of going, I've got to change. The last stage is hope in Christ. See, the gospel surprises us by declaring that he doesn't condemn us. It's, it's really good news for bad people. And what I love about the gospel and what we've been learning throughout this whole series is that the gospel isn't what we receive at salvation. It's what we now receive every day like a shower. It's a fresh washing of gospel identity, of gospel hope, of gospel courage. That what, what, we, what, what Paul is trying to get us to is that he's trying to re-emphasize again and again and again that only he, Jesus, is the one who justifies. And so now our job every day is to come with empty hands, going, will you fill me? King Jesus, will you fill me? I need you. You see, this position of confidence that we have in Christ doesn't make us bold. Or it doesn't make us um, super ultra confident in ourselves. In fact, it makes us humble. Have you ever, I've I found that it's easier for me to give gifts than receive them. But I was carrying a, a load here recently and just, a, just generosity that took my breath away in an area that I was carrying. And I had no words. Speechless. In, in, in a place where you can't pay anything, you can't pay, you can't pay back. You can't pay back. This is what Paul's trying to get us to. We can't pay this back. You know, all we can do is come humbly, with confidence, with hope. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me fresh. See, because it is God who justifies, no one can de-justify us. Not even us. And what this does, uh, I, I love a saying by Mad Matt Chandler. He says, God wants to redeem our sin, weaponize it, and make, it, make war on the enemy. That, that what, what, what I love about this reality of our sin is that our sin isn't just something that now we're separated from. God actually wants to breathe on it, use it, and now weaponize it for a purpose. I mean, this is what's so beautiful about this church is that we have so many people who have entered into the story with, with, with backgrounds, me included. I mean, I'm, as I mentioned, I love talking about my stuttering because it was my greatest place of pain for so long and now God has breathed on it and I don't mind opening up and holding that out because now the Spirit of God has weaponized what Satan himself had used to condemn me and overwhelm me and, uh, and lead me to places of horrible decisions. I mean, it's been weaponized. And I'm telling you, this is the beauty of a God who takes our sin, who takes our past, and has a purpose for it. He wants to weaponize it. What does this do? How does this alter my life? We can confess our sins now. 
you realize that as a result of matter? I don't have to hide my sin. I don't have to wonder if it's going to come back and haunt me. No, no, no. Now I can confess it. Now I can talk about it. Now I can now invite people to drag this piece out into the light. Now, now I know what, now I have people around me and I can run to who it's a safe space to deal with sin. That we can confidently and courageously open up about our pain and God's redemption to others. This is the hope of our, of our sin. It's not, it's not haunting us. It's like you come back and get us. It's weaponized now. Spirit of God has weaponized it. Last question. God, where are you? Turned your back on me. Answer through a question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. My grandma, I told a story about my grandpa. I have to tell, tell one about my grandma. Uh, she lived in a, I think I've told, told this a while back, but I'll retell it because it fits really perfect here. She lived in a, a town in Montana, Haver, Montana, and she um, would tell me stories about when she was growing up in Montana, northwest part of the state, and, and it would snow. It would snow bad. In fact, it would blizzard. The, the blizzards were dangerous. But they had to have a whole system where they, work still had to be done. They still had to go to the barn. There was just so much to, to do. So she couldn't stop working. And so they had this, this track that was set up that, that her parents had made sure that when the point it was, it was ready for her to go out into the storm, they tied her up with a rope, tied her tight, and sent her out, knowing that the rope was going to be secure to bring her back. What Paul is saying is that we're going to enter into a blizzard called the world. Tragedies are going to happen. Paul gives this list and he doesn't say that we're going to be exempt from it. In fact, in, he says that, that these things, they, that we are being slaughtered. This is not... This is not a, a curse when that happens. In fact, when, what Paul is saying is that he's saying that when it does happen, it is a token and an opportunity for the grace of God and the love of God to now be drawn to like vibranium and now be melted into it to produce something of power. See, when, when Paul says that he's more, we're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, that's, I, 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 I'm not a Greek scholar, but I looked, and this is the only time that it's used, I think. It means super conqueror. I'm like, what does that even mean to be more than a conqueror? When you're a conqueror, you take your enemies and you defeat them. And they're at your feet. But when you are more than a conqueror, you resurrect your enemies and they serve your purposes. See, all of these, this list of things that are going to happen. You see, because of the love of God, is that he, he's, the goal isn't just to be... be um, set aside from them or even just try to endure it. No, no. God promises to take all of these attacks and they are at his feet for the love of God to now use it like vibranium and produce something of power as a result of the chaos that is in front of us. 
So how does this alter my life? The love of God empowers me to take one step at a time, even when it's hard and I don't see. The love of God promises to use my pain no matter how hard it is to explain. So what do we do here? What do we do with Romans chapter 8? Goal of this last eight weeks has been, like Paul says, we are, I am convinced. I, I hope that you have taken just a couple more steps towards this end goal of being convinced. Being confident. Being courageously confident in the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you're not, if you still feel like there's some, some drag in your soul, what I love about this text is that he uses the word we or us 13 times. He says we, 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 we. I, I, I ask myself, why would he do that? And I really believe that the reason that he does that is because we need each other to remind each other of the fact that we are in Christ and that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that we have a vibranium. And there is no question that that vibranium, namely the love, of, the love of God, is active, it hasn't given up on us, and it promises to take our greatest places of pain and use it for a purpose. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we, we, we just kneel our life to this reality that we have been given a love we don't deserve. This is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Lord, we, we ask that you would continue to awaken us, capture our hearts afresh through the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. In your name we pray.